It's in the news today, but it was actually on TV Reload, the podcast, last week. Welcome back, guys, to TV Reload. As you may know, my name is Benjamin Norris, and this is your podcast to get all the inside goss on the popular TV shows you may be watching from around the world. Undeniably, our TV sets are a major part of our home entertainment, and yet very little is known about how our favourite shows get made. So each episode, I've been finding guests that want to dive just that little bit deeper into the shows they're currently making so that you can hear all their exclusive stories and gain access to the biggest names in Australian television. On today's podcast, I have Aussie actor Guyton Grantley here to talk about his time on The Traders, which launched its second series on Network 10 this week. Guyton is best known for his portrayal of convicted murderer and drug trafficker Carl Williams on the hit Australian television show Underbelly, for which he was nominated for Most Outstanding Actor in a Drama Series and Most Popular Actor, winning the 2009 Logie Award for Most Outstanding Actor. I found out today that he has over 54 credits on IMDb for his work in Australian TV and film, one of my favourites being House Husbands, for which he did five seasons. However, audiences were delighted to hear that Guyton joined The Traders, which sees everyday Aussies joined by some familiar faces taking on the popular reality series. The Traders features a group of 24 contestants who move into a Grand Heritage Hotel, who work as a team to uncover who is a traitor and who is a faithful. The show picked up a cult following last year with many incarnations over the world and plenty of people falling in love with this exciting new format. I will find out how Guyton was asked to be on the show and if Roger Corsa had anything to do with it. We will unpack the first week's twists and turns, finding out what might have gone wrong for Guyton and how he might have been better to play the game. Guyton will share what the contestants really think of Ash Pollard, if Elias was the main reason for his demise and what happened to Sam's blindside. Plus, we will get plenty of exclusives from behind the scenes of The Traders, which continues next Monday night at 7.30 on Network 10, and you can catch up on 10 Play Now. Anyway, let's bring Guyton into the podcast, and I'm also really excited to be sharing this with a lot of The Traders superfans who I know are out there. Hey, buddy, how are you? I'm fine and dandy. I am so shocked that you're already out of The Traders Series 2, Episode 2. Are you pissed off? Are you, are you really shocked? Did I ever stand a chance? As soon as everyone like got savvy to the fact that I was an actor, I just didn't stand a chance, I reckon. You're going to hate this. No one likes to be given a compliment, but you have a very calming energy about yourself. Like You want to be your friend. And so I just immediately thought you being on this show, your personality type would disarm people and they wouldn't be so quick to try and cut you. That was my hope. I've been often asked what was my strategy. If I were to say I had one, it would be the ho- my hope was that I would last at least a week so that I could gain people's affection and possibly trust. Because obviously my biggest worry and handicap was that I was an actor, a professional liar, and no one would trust me. So in terms of my characteristics, if, if people got to know me a bit better, they'd, they'd feel, like you say, calm and feel safe around me. But I just didn't get the time to do it. I got thrown under the bus very early. How did they approach you to do this show? Because the first season was all civilians. And then this season, we've been peppered with celebrities. How did you get cast? Maybe it's your favorite show. I don't know. Well, that's an interesting term that you use, civilians. A certain contestant used that term, and it didn't go down well amongst the quote-unquote civilians. But look, I think that's actually the whole point of it, is that we're all the same when it comes to telling lies. That's what I was trying to campaign to save myself, is that we all have the ability to deceive each other. It doesn't matter what our profession. Oh, but the question was, how did I get involved? Um, I was approached. I was a big fan of playing um, Alien 
in my twenties at the dinner parties with a few bottles of wine and ten or so friends, and I was pretty good at it, and I really enjoyed it. So the opportunity to compete in this situation was really exciting. So did they hit you up on Instagram, or did Roger pass over your phone number? I want to know, like, how did this happen? Oh, through my agent through the proper channels. I watched the first season, um, the Australian one, and did a little bit of Googling of um, some of the other English-speaking seasons around the world, and I was in. I was like, this sounds like fun. I even watched the Dutch version with the subtitles. Does it, does it, does it translate with all the, all the lies? and? Yes, it was just as good. Yeah, like, as in, I think that's where, I'm, I might be getting this wrong, but I think that's where the heritage of the show is. I think that's where it originated. So it might have been its first incarnation, but I really got involved with the lies, the deceit, and the ability to be good at this sort of a show. Well, the Dutch have this like personality kind of trait where they're very direct and it can come across as quite rude. They're just being honest. So I can imagine that would make for very interesting situations in, in that show. But even your characters that you've played, you know, because of Underbelly, which, you know, Carl Williams is a bad guy. But then I think of you more, and this goes to show you the type of television I watch, is from House Husbands. And my question on top of all of that is, how does the general public usually see you? Do they normally see you more for the bad guys that you've played on television or for the good guys? Yeah, well, like even Carl, the reason why Carl Williams got away with anything he did was because no one assumed that he was the evil person that he was because he was this affable, dopey, goofy kind of blundering idiot. He was a pretty nice guy, really, when you think about it. He was, not, he was definitely not threatening. Sure, he was a very evil person, but he didn't come across that way. I feel like when I, when, when I act, when anyone acts, really, you're just, you're just emphasizing parts of yourself. All you can do is use who you are and, and amplify parts of that. So I, maybe that is who I am on. <laughs> it's funny. I remember one night going out with, so a friend of mine was in the first season of Underbelly. And after filming one day, we all went out. Well, I got invited to come along, not we. Um, and so I went to a nightclub on Greville Street in Melbourne and people responded to Vince Colosimo like a gangster already. And then I ran into him years later and it had sort of accentuated itself because of that character of Alphonse Gangitano that he played. So that's why I was curious, because it seems like the general public has an idea of who you are without really ever knowing who you are, because you're an actor. I guess so. I guess, I mean, that's what we do when we put ourselves out there, isn't it? We throw ourselves over to perception and and, uh, misconception to the public. Look, Vince is actually a really lovely guy. You know, I've known him for quite a long time now, and, you know, he's had his his troubles and hiccups through over the time, but at the heart, he's, he's, he's a sweetheart. And um, we've all got our public faces, don't we? Even whether we're in the media or not. And you've got to spend the time to really get to know people, I think. You know what I also think is really interesting about your elimination is, what do you think of this? I think the show would be cool if the viewers maybe didn't know who the traders were. So it was a bit like the mole where we had to try and guess who the traders were. Or what would be good is imagine if it was live. And so you filmed all of it up until that last part each week and then the public would eliminate someone that night and then you go back into production. I know that's a very expensive show, but <laughs> I think that would be a, an, an even better version of this show. And I think you would survive a lot longer with the public's vote. Both are great ideas. I think they've both got a lot of uh, potential. 
I think I guess there's the the idea of like reality TV where the audience just gets to yell at the TV. <laughs> like they, basically they can spend the whole hour every every night just going, you idiot, you idiot. Oh, these people, they're morons. But yeah, it, it definitely works the way you're proposing as well. It, it uh, would, would certainly make it more intriguing and exciting to wait and see who, who it is. And yeah, I, maybe it might have helped my chances quite a lot. You know, I had a friend who had a very similar hairstyle to you in this series and he loved the man bun and wore it on the show. And then once he watched it back, he was not as big a fan of the hair bun, the man bun, I should say, anymore. Were there any details? Now it sounds like I'm onto your man bun as though that's a regret and it's, it's not. But was there any? <laughs> but was there anything watching it back that made you think, oh, I wish I would have prepared that differently? No, um, you, you're right. Like, it's a good point because it's the first time I've done reality TV. I've done you know, plenty of interviews, but everything's prepared, I guess, in that respect. You've got the time to make sure everything's in its right place and looking good or all bad, however you want it to be. Yeah. Um, when you're throwing yourself out there just to be, you know, with 20 or so cameras hiding behind bushes trying to catch you, it's a bit different. But I was, look, in terms of the man bun, I've never had long hair. And it's the first time I grew it over COVID. And I was like, this is great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock this for a while. I want to know about this relationship with you and Roger. We've talked a bit about Underbelly. Both of you are co-stars. Did you get a chance to catch up during filming or did you try and distance yourself from that? Oh, he was very well behaved. It wouldn't have been fair, I guess, or seemed fair if we had little chats here and there. So um, the only kind of interaction we had was um, he gave me a wink at the uh, very beginning and I gave him a wink back. And But afterwards, after my banishment, he, he came and picked me up from my room and took me down to the, the local village and we had a beer and had a good old catch up and <laughs> talked it all over. I just was assuming that he'd give you some tips. I mean, he was there hosting the first series. So I thought when he found out that you were going to be on it, he would have rung you up and given you some tips on how to do it or helped you with the research. Uh, he's a consummate professional. He, he kept his lips sealed and, uh, you know, wished me well. And that was that. What did you think of Annabelle's breakdown at the end of your, well, just as you've been eliminated, was that genuine? I mean, it seemed very over the top. Yeah. So look, everything's different when it comes down to the edit. Sometimes those banishments can go on for over an hour. So everyone was very tired, but her breakdown had occurred earlier when it seemed like everyone had turned on me or they'd given up on blindsiding Ash. And I guess she felt like she'd betrayed me, but she still voted for me as well. So at the time, I was positive that she was a sociopath because <laughs> she clearly voted for me and was clearly crying. <laughs> so it just didn't make sense. How can you be like, vote someone off the competition and then burst into tears? It, it, the mind boggles. I think maybe she felt like at the very, very last second, she had to go with the, go with the group. Otherwise, it would seem it would make her put her in a precarious situation. If she voted for Ash and she was the only one or one of two or three, then it would put her out in the open. And um, so maybe at the very last minute, she realized she had to switch and, and that broke her heart, perhaps. <laughs> um, look, Annabelle and I have chatted quite a lot since the show's finished and she's she's a sweetheart and uh, there's no hard feelings. Um, well, she also referred but, uh, to yes. as her dad. She was like, he's like my dad. And I was like, I don't know if that was the right way to describe oh, the relationship. I'm not, I'm not ready for that yet. I mean, I've got kids, but they're all under the age of six. Yeah. So um, <laughs> maybe maybe Keith, Keith could play, play that part. Yeah, look, a lot of us have, have kept kept in contact 
we don't actually know the results. That's being kept in the dark from us, but we've, we've been able to communicate on a WhatsApp group and stuff like that. So, And there's been little catch-ups and stuff. So, yeah, look, at the end of the day, it's just a game. And uh, No know, one actually oh, died, which I thought was perfectly said. Hannah comes in just at the right moment. There's no bullshit with Hannah, and she's not ashamed or afraid to be her. She is, and she is the first person I met, and we spent quite a lot of time together. And that's oh, what I- made me get so terrified that I, I was suspicious of her because um, she kind of shied away from me. For a while, and so you've got to start throwing out accusations, otherwise people don't think you're, you're trying. And she was—I was adamant that she was a traitor, but I was wrong. My traitor was very off. How does this thing happen? So you know when they write down the your names, so they were going to blindside Ash Pollard, right? And so it looked like that was what was going to happen, but all of a sudden that's not how it unfolded. But didn't everyone have to write their names down before they started flipping them? Or when you get your time to say who you're going to you know, eliminate, is that when you write down the name? Because I couldn't work that out because I was like, all of these people that are about to blindside Ash Pollard, all of a sudden they didn't. I, I don't understand. There was something not adding up for me. Yeah, look, Ben, I didn't understand either. Which look, is why you're at the here. End of the day, <laughs> yeah, this is why I'm talking to you now, not in a few weeks from now. Oh, look, you're right. Look, you've got to remember that there's, there's a lot of time condensed into a short period. So I didn't really have any choice. It was my only lifeline when it was the idea was brought to me, I was like, that sounds great. It's, as long as it's not me. And I guess in the discussions that happened before people write down someone's name, there was a lot of heat coming towards my way. I did my best to defend myself and I don't couldn't still can't think of any other way of how I could have convinced people that I was faithful. At the end of the day, it was very early on, so people are just happy to save their neck, make a sacrifice. I honestly think a lot of people believed I was faithful, but they just went with the group. I agree. Yeah, I really do. In terms of what happened with Ash, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why they all switched, which did make me feel quite deceived, but it also made me wonder why they needed to go to that extravagant kind of ruse to like ease my anxiety or something because like I already knew I was going to go. So I don't know why they created this idea, this pretend story that they're all going to vote for Ash. But now having watched the show, I could see that Sam actually was trying to organize that. So I don't know what happened, Ben, honestly. I don't know how all of a sudden everyone wrote my name down and not Ashes. Um, but when do you write the must name have down? Happened. Does the name write get written down before everyone reveals or do they write the name down as you yes, get called yes. out? Yes, yeah, no, we all, we all write them down at the same time. So we all sit down and we all have a big argument about all sorts of things. Everyone throws silly accusations out and, and recaps things with, with wrong wrong recollections. <laughs> so there's a lot of defending going on and we're going, I didn't say that. And then eventually Roger will say, okay, everyone, time to write the name down. And so we all do it at the exact same time. So it's not like you get to, get to see, oh, shit, five people have written down Grant's name, I better too. So I guess the vibe was out there. I mean, there's, there's, there's like looks that you can throw across at each other. Sam kept looking at me saying, mouthing the word wait. Like, again, I feel like he was just trying to ease my pain. Uh, wait for what, mate? Wait for my death. So, yeah, it, it, that, that can happen. But, yeah, I don't know. To answer your question, yeah, Roger just says time to do it. And we all do it at the same time. Ash Pollard is getting a hard ride already. Episode two, we can start to see that. And we were just briefly talking about that blind side that never happened. You know, and it seems like from what we're about to see next week that Sam and Blake, who are her two traitors, are after her. Are we not seeing everything here? Is Ash a bit of a complicated character? I mean, is she hard to get along with? Or what's what, what thread has been pulled on her story for 
both other traders to now be turning on her? Look, I'd say the reason why they're turning, well, Sam's turning on her is just purely tactical. Ash certainly did have some um, discrepancies with other, other players. She didn't get off to a great start with some people, but I don't know of anything huge that went down. I was unaware of it. I think it was purely tactical. Um, Sam can see the potential and just it's better to manage if it's just him and Blake. And mm. I'm sure Blake's down with that too. It's like, we're great. It's just you and me now, buddy. Let's let's manage it this way. And um, there's always the chance that you can, I can't remember the official term, but you can you know, bring someone in later on in the, in the season to join you as a trader. Yeah, maybe they didn't trust her. You know, maybe they just thought that she was too much of a loudmouth or she did have a few slip-ups, didn't she? Like she wasn't as safe as they were, I guess you could say. The other question I had for you was about Elias because, you know, in that first episode, he really gave people enough of a reason to go after you. He kind of put a hole in your boat, which was too hard to fix for the second episode. Do you think that if he hadn't brought your name up so hard in the first elimination that you might have been able to survive a few more episodes? Yeah, I do. Like I said earlier, my 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 hope was to to survive at least a week or four or five days to to gain people's affection, you know? So they the, then hopefully a bit of trust um, uh and it, it really did, really did hamper my um, my chances. And gosh, I've thought back on it a lot. And I don't think there's much else I could have done to to defend myself or convince people of my my innocence. Gosh, I've had thoughts of like, maybe I should have just gone in full evil and just started making up stories about people and, <laughs> and just really rocked the boat. It's not in my nature, but I, I think maybe if I had a second chance, I'd try that. I'd actually mentally prepare for that and go in just full evil and, uh, you know, just enjoy really messing with people. But um, I thought it would be best to, you know, keep honest and, and be myself. It's probably a lot easier and safer to do that. And and then kind of midway, then you really have to start the strategy of, of uh, you know, alliances and grouping together to just knock people out and find out who's who. I just don't understand why if I was there and I was a part of the series, I would get rid of Luke straight away, regardless of anything he said or did, because I, he's one big brother VIP. He, he's been on two seasons of Survivor. We know he's a dog. Like no matter what I would, what he said or did, I would go around and make sure we got rid of him episode one. Yeah. Well, like he said in one of his little interviews is like he's, he, he was quick off the mark to go and form friendships. Kind of like I hope to do. I think he just did it a lot faster. He's, he's such a gregarious, you know, tall, handsome, lovable kind of character. And Hey, he's, He's a reality TV star, so a lot of these people are big fans of him. Um, half of the guys in there didn't even know who I was because they're quite young. And um, so it did did take Elias to calling me out as an actor for them to realize that I was a potential threat. <laughs> and that's why I went for him. I wasn't pos- totally positive that he was a traitor, but I thought he's going to be my best chance of knocking someone else out or, or at least taking the heat off me. But it didn't work. <laughs> You know, Pam Miranda said that it's important to get work now in both scripted and unscripted reality. Is that, you know, will we see more of you doing some reality and following Pam Miranda's sort of, I guess, opening up both doors? Because, I mean, she was saying when you're an actor, it's hard. You're always waiting for those calls and there's not as much work in Australia as we would like. So she's like, why wouldn't I now lean into unscripted reality as well as doing her scripted dramas? You know, what about you? Has this been a good taste of your reality experience? Will you do more or are you kind of burnt out? How do I answer this? The Australian um, industry 
is in a huge kind of evolution, I'd say. Streaming TV has, is affecting it, really. A lot of local content has really stopped being made. And if it is being made, it's a co-production with Britain or America. And so then only huge stars are kind of wanted. You're always Greeners and you're All Saints and you're, you're kind of your house husbands, those local shows, they're just not really being made anymore. Um, so for the Australian actor, it's getting really tough to get work. And so reality TV is starting to look very, you know, appealing. <laughs> and um, so th- that's one of the reasons why I did this was for the work, like for the opportunity to, to keep my profile out there. That being said, I had a ball. I had an absolute ball. So if any other opportunity comes up, like Survivor or... You know what's really funny <laughs> was that Pam Miranda was doing an interview with the, you know, wildly successful TV Tonight, which is like, you know, television. Oh, no, well, yep. so, yeah, so she had this interview she said, I'd love Survivor. And they rang her the next day and put her on the show. So maybe we'll have that kind of effect. Yeah, I'd love to race around the world or something like that. That'd be fun. An amazing race. Or maybe even there's a new one waiting for me. I'm, I'm a keen cook. Love to do MasterChef. Um, look, it's, it's, it, it, it was a lot more fun than I thought it would be. And um, look, we're really well treated and people are kind. And, um, you know, it's a lot of due diligence and care taken for our mental health and you know, it was a safe place. So, look, and it's fun TV. So, I'm definitely up for for more experiences like that. I think you're going to be a trendsetter with this because with what's happened with the writer strike, I think there's going to be more of a need to lean on the unscripted reality for a couple of years whilst that all sort of, while we get over that hump. I think a lot more people are going to be open to doing unscripted reality during this time. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, look, and it's got potential to, to evolve as well and to change its format and Look, if you even think about using the word unscripted, you know, skit shows were fantastic. Like, thank God you're here. There's there's potential for all sorts of stuff to come out in the future and excited to see where it goes. Well, I'm always in your audience, so I can't wait for that. Um, the last question I have for you is the same thing I ask everyone who joins the podcast. What is something from behind the scenes, something that we didn't see, kind of like a behind the scenes secret about what it's like to make the traders. You might notice there's a difference between this season and last season. There's a lot less drinking. So we're basically allowed one drink, a glass of wine or a glass of beer at the end of the evening. And uh, Roger's favourite thing would be to sit behind the wall watching the screens and uh, and uh, with the other producers to see who would double fist, who would who would walk up and grab two drinks and quickly, quickly down one as fast as they could and then hold the other one and take that one up to bed. Uh, <laughs> It's a very stressful game and they're long days. And, you know, sometimes you just need that second glass of wine to to take to bed with you. (laughs) Are you the double dipper? (laughs) Oh, I tried. Yeah, I I wasn't as skilled at it. I didn't wasn't aware of of the technique until I was informed about it going on. But I definitely would have given it a shot if I'd thought about it. I'm such a big fan of your work. Um, I have seen nearly all of your work on all of your shows many times. Uh, So this is a real honour to be able to sit here and have this conversation with him. Oh, thanks, Ben. I do remember you on the red carpet. You, you've oh, you always do? Been a, uh, <laughs> yeah, you've always been quite a colourful character on the ca- carpet compared to other, you know, interviewers. And some of the more better, boring Better people. questions. Hopefully uh, I do some more work and I see you on the carpet again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really appreciate <laughs> your generosity with your time and chatting. It was amazing. Pleasure, Ben. Thank you. Good luck with it all and um, hope to speak. 